Hello, everyone. This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to another episode of the WTF Podcast, where we discuss the challenges faced by Black entrepreneurs in the U.S. and globally, particularly women, to access funding to grow or scale innovative ideas and demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. This season, I've been doubling down on conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and access to funding for founders who have been traditionally underrepresented in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. And immigrant founders are a particularly underrepresented group within the funding uh, ecosystem. So Javian was, uh, who is my guest today, was kind enough to, he had posted something on LinkedIn that I thought would be a perfect intro for this episode. And it goes, one in four and one in 10. What do these statistics mean to you? Even though immigrants make up less than 13% of the United States population, they, are, they represent about 27% of the entrepreneurial segment of the population. In the current environment where we need to build back better, it is important to tap into the creativity that drives these community members further. Developing relationships in foreign markets is one of the hardest parts of international trade. Yet immigrants already have established relationships that they can mobilize to build massive industries that can solve the supply chain problem that currently exists. And he goes to further say that in answering the question posed in the opening, one in 10 Coloradoan was born overseas and one in four Coloradoan lives in a household with someone that was born overseas. So it is clear we are a global community. It is time we lean in further into that global worldview and showcase more of the creativity based on input from a diverse group. Today's guest is Javian Blake, Jamaican-American entrepreneur who's valorizing the breadfood popular in the Caribbean and Africa and introducing it to the American palates as nature's gluten-free bread. Javian, welcome to the WTF podcast and thank you for your intro. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michelle. I really appreciate it. And it sounded so better coming from you. I could hear that over and over. <laughs> <laughs> You're too kind. So, so first of all, for the listeners, I want to say, for those of you who may not know, I'm Jamaican and Javion is the first Jamaican that I'm having on the show. So big up to you. Welcome. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about your background and what led you to creating um, Just Chill, your company, I and I, and, you know, the meaning behind those names and why the breadfruit and what is it? Uh, sure. Um, I just thought off a little bit of my background. Um, so as Michelle uh, just mentioned, as you mentioned, I originally grew up in Jamaica. So I am from the western end of Jamaica, um, close to the Montego Bay, just outside Montego Bay, the second city. Um, and I have always just been exposed to a global culture because tourism is such a big part of what Jamaica represents. Um, and so it was always so fascinating growing up in Jamaica and you see, you get to, you know, witness people coming to visit and they're like, oh my God, this is so awesome. Like, I can't believe you live in paradise. And at the same instance, you, you know, you, you meet locals and you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to get a visa and get out of here. Um, Everybody <laughs> wants to go to what we call foreign, which is, I guess, anything outside of Jamaica, but namely the US, UK and Canada <laughs> for a lot of people. Exactly, exactly. And and so growing up in that, I was like, you know, how, how can you bridge? Like, how can a different perspective just makes it like the same environment just so different? And so it's always been a bit of a question for me. How do you bridge those gaps? How do you get people local to see the value? And at the same time, 
still deliver that value to, to, to a broader audience, you know, our visitors that come to the island. Um, and for me, I've, that was always been a question. Um, I moved to the United States um, after transferring from the University of Technology in Kingston, where I was doing an engineering undergrad. And then I moved into Montana um, and gone from Jamaica Now, that's interesting. I mean, that's a major <laughs> culture shock. I went to Montana for the yeah. first time this summer. A, friend, a good friend of mine um, just yeah. got married. Um, she relocated there with her fiance, now husband, and I went for the wedding. And Montana is as different from Jamaica as you could imagine. Oh, most except, definitely. Except for the mountains. That's true. That's true. And, and the appreciation for the outdoors. Yes. Um, that, that there's a very shared relationship with just nature in general. Um, and so one thing I realized when I went to Montana was just like, all of a sudden, like, you know, I was just an individual, right? But because there's just a, lack, a lack of representation from like you know, a bunch of Jamaicans or, you know, people of um, Black origins or other country culture in general, um, you eventually become like an ambassador, right? So you, you realize like the story you tell about your culture becomes a story that's learned about your culture. And you have um, to be careful when telling those stories so that it doesn't become a single story as Chimamanda Adichie likes to talk about the danger of the single story. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then I, I, I never really figured out the responsibility of doing that until, as you just mentioned, which is be careful that your story doesn't become a single story. Like understand like it's, you know, similar in Jamaica where there's a diverse population as well. Um, and so for me, like I, I started out doing things like, you know, I would make my birthday party would be like, you know, birthday party with a bunch of Jamaican foods of jerk chicken and all of these things. And people just come in, like, it would just be a fascination, you know, people from all over the world, all my friends um, who go to school with me. And so that has just been ingrained in me. And like, you know, the National Food Bazaar, International Food Bazaar, we would be cooking and we had a chef from, um, who was in Yellowstone at the time, but he was Jamaican working in Yellowstone. Um, and so he would like, you know, carve up the whole like melon and carve up the whole like flowers out of fruits and all of that. So the great presentation. Um, so that's kind of like my introduction to like realize the power of food to really tell culture. Yes. Before you move on from that, though, funny enough, you say that because when I was there, I brought a good friend of mine along with me because yeah. she, when she heard I was going to Montana, she was like, wow, I want to come because she hadn't been to Montana um, yet either. And when we were there, one of the guests at the wedding mentioned that she's a, an event planner and she's like Miss Caribbean, like all things Caribbean. She's like in the DMV yeah. area. She's like the ambassador of, of that. And we okay. met this, this, this guy who said he had a, a reggae station on the Mizu, um, you know, from the University of Missoula. And so they yeah. got into talking about bringing like reggae fest <laughs> to Missoula. <laughs> and I thought it was so far-fetched and out of pocket, but in a very small way, you've you've already sort of, you know, in your small circle been introducing people to um, Jamaican and Caribbean culture. And they had these plans about like bringing in chefs and, and doing, you know, this yeah. festival. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't seem so crazy after all. <laughs> Uh, oh no, I mean reggae is, is is so universally recognized that I mean I, I've seen um reggae artists book to show up in, in Montana and you know it really galvanized the following. Um people really want like Jamaica culture is very strong. I mean um, it's it's more than a culture, it's a brand, right? Exactly. And Jamaica has done a very good job of branding Jamaica um and and exporting yeah. the best of what we have in terms of our culture um globally. So yes, I agree with yeah. that. 
I, I think my friends over at the tour, Jamaica Tourist Board and uh, Jam Pro would be very pleased with that statement. Because <laughs> it's and they true. they do a great job. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They, they do a great job. Um, so, that, so, so that was like my minor intro into that space. And then, you know, another thing that kind of like aligned with that um, was growing up in Jamaica and seeing food go to waste. I don't know what in me, I've always just been like an efficiency expert in a sense. Like I, I, don't, I don't like seeing things go to waste. Um, and I remember like thinking like, oh, all these like pumpkins and fruits and stuff that gets thrown away at the market. Like imagine if you have- Especially like, during like, the container. seasons for certain fruits, yep. right? Like whether it's exactly. mango season or whatever in season and there's just a proliferation of it and not enough things to do with it. Like going to mango walk and seeing just mangoes just- putrefying yeah. on the ground because so much of it has fallen. And I see yeah. that elsewhere, particularly in Africa, yeah. where a lot of my work yeah. is focused when I travel as well. And like, definitely more needs to be done to um, add value and process and exactly. do more with these foods. Before you get into your story, though, this just reminds mm-hmm. me of one year I was in Jamaica around Christmas time <clears throat> and we went to like a Christmas food market at Rada, um, the Rada yeah. site on, I think, Hope Road and yeah. Rada mm-hmm. is Rural Agricultural Development Association, I believe. If I'm, I think that's it. And I remember looking at the fruits and veggies, and they look so beautiful because it, sometimes yeah. you have to be reminded of what these things look like in their natural state when they're not, in, they haven't had all these weird things <laughs> added to yeah. them. And I remember <laughs> just, I couldn't stop taking pictures. And I remember the sorrel just looks so pristine and the color looks so bright because oftentimes when you get sorrel here you're getting dehydrated um sorrel which is a hibiscus plant right which jamaicans used to make a drink popularly consumed during christmas time but you can drink it all year round of course and in west africa they call it bsap and everything just looks so great and i remember i ate this thing it was otiti apple which is uh, a Jamaican apple. um, Apple. Mm -hmm. And it was, I guess, what do you want to say? Pickled and it was sort of like in a rum sauce. And I remember it was one of the best things I've ever eaten. I didn't keep the container and I've been dreaming and thinking about this thing for like years now. And it has been years. And I was also glad to see at that fair that people had started, this was years back, of course, doing yeah. more things with the things that we were already consuming, like making cassava chips and different things like that, where before we hadn't been making chips out of cassava. We have the bami, of course, which is a cassava yes. byproduct, but we hadn't made cassava chips and things beyond banana chips, which are very popular in Jamaica. And if you ask me, Jamaicans make the best banana chips I've ever had. Lots of people have gotten yeah. into the planting chips business and do a fairly good job of it. But I feel like Jamaica still owns banana chips if it's going to taste yeah. good. And that just could be my bias. But anyway, (laughs) I was happy to see that. And I think that's a good segue into what you are doing with breadfruit. And the last time I was there, I did see breadfruit um, chips in the supermarket and I ate it and I'm like, I must have more. So tell me about breadfruit and how you got into what you're doing now. Yeah, so, um, you know, that's a great point. I think we have a a lot of valuable food sources in the island. but sometimes it, it can easily get misconstrued in terms of like, we want people to eat the food the way that we have, have always been accustomed to eating them. Yes. And people <laughs> are so hard at letting go and trying to do different things. And like, listen, yes. there are more than one ways 
to prepare certain yes. things. And Jamaicans exactly. can tend to be just very indignant about this is how it's done. But yeah. I am a fan of experimentation and innovation, so carry on. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's definitely what's gonna you know, make us become the food leaders in, in these spaces is because of experimentation and innovation. Um, and for me, that started off with uh, you know, hosting an event. So, so the breadfruit journey um, in particular, started off with me hosting an event and what's like, the what's the bread food for people who don't know oh sorry so yes that's a that's a good way to start off so so bread fruit is is uh, many times been described as a tropical potato um and, and it's not really a potato because it doesn't grow as a root as a root fruit but it grows as a an, a, as a root vegetable but it grows as like a, a fruit in a tree like an apple that you would pick now the resemblance. So breadfruit is in the is in the mulberry family, and that also includes like jackfruit. Wait, 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 wait! I did not know this. Breadfruit mm-hmm. is in the mulberry family. Yes, yes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I could see similarities to jackfruit, of course, but yeah. mulberries got me. Okay, learn new things every day. Keep on. Yeah. So what? The difference with like a jackfruit. A jackfruit has like this, you know, like very stringy consistency that makes it great for like you know. Um, vegan pork or something. Breadfruit, on the other hand, is just, is just more like about that starchy consistency, but it does have a lot of fiber as well. Um, and so the chips that we make from breadfruit, the breadfruit chips, it can, it's many times been described as like a flavor and texture between a plantain chip and a potato chip because it has that crispiness of a potato chip, but it has like that, you know, very tropical flavor, like its own natural flavor, like a plantain. It's not sweet, it's more on the savory side. Um, and that's something that's cool about it because you can literally have it like a, it's a, it's a great gluten-free, grain-free superfood alternative for, you know, and, and a very low glycemic in comparison to like a potato chip or other tortilla chip. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that really people like really like it is because it has its own natural flavor. You don't have to put a bunch of chemicals in there to give it some kind of like, you know, very ecstatic flavor. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, on the healthier side in terms of glycemic index, um, um, uh, nutrient density and all that. Uh, so that's larger breadfruit. Breadfruit, uh, and in terms of size, it's about the size of my head um, for a typical um, breadfruit. Um, so I got to say, um, like if you're a kid yeah. growing up in Jamaica and somebody want to insult you, they'll probably call you a breadfruit head or something like that. So he's right in that I couldn't remember <laughs> the size of, of your head. But Jevion, you said a few things yeah. that I wanted to dig into before we moved on about okay. being a superfood and, um, you know, you marketing it as um, gluten-free, considering the gluten-free sort of marketing trend in the U.S. and elsewhere in, in global markets. And yeah. positioning <clears throat> this tropical fruit that's native. Well, I don't, I'm not sure where it's native to, but it's certainly found in the Caribbean and I've seen it in parts of Africa, namely in Liberia. I think I saw a breadfruit tree in, in Abidjan last time I was there in, in Cote d'Ivoire. I don't know if they eat it, don't know what to do with it. Um, for someone like you, who is from the Caribbean, sort of getting in the game and getting out there to valorize um, and I guess this fruit, but, you know, oftentimes we've seen it with other things, native foods, right? Like coconut, coconut water. You know, we've been eating these things forever, pomegranate and things like that. Then it gets discovered by the global market as the next superfood. And then everybody else starts to market and promote it. And then the price gets high. And it's never usually, it's oftentimes not people who, where it comes from their culture, 
who gets the economic benefit of being able to get on the forefront of promoting and marketing and, and benefiting from those foods. So talk to me a little bit about that part of, of, of you doing what you're doing with the breadfruit. So that's what's great about this project um, because we, we largely try to focus this project in on a few things. Um, the the INI Foods by Just Chill, and by the way, INI in Jamaican terms re refers to like, you know, I myself and then I the inner me in a sense, which is like, you know, one in one. So we try to like bring holisticness to the market space. Which is a Rastafarian term. Exactly, which is a very Rastafarian term. And so we're trying to like bring that culture along with the brand as well. Um, and so, oh. one more point before you yeah. go. I just to talk no, about the fact that, you know, there's a subsection of Jamaican culture that have been eating vegan for a long time if we talk about Rastafarian tradition, right? So this is yeah. not something that's new to us. No, no. Just sure, wanted to put sure. that out there. So for the folks yeah. who don't know. Yeah. Um, and so uh, in, 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 in following on that, like a big part of, so, so there are three things that there as a platform what we try to focus on is optimizing three Ps. And the three Ps that we look at is people, planet, and profit, right? And we seek to not necessarily um, overlook either one of those for the benefit of the other as much. We try to optimize them all. And in terms of our people, we look at their people in two ways. Both the people who are supplying the products that we're, that we're selling on the market space and also the people that are consuming our products. And so whenever we make a decision to create a product, we, cr we create a product and it's like, is this gonna optimize people's health? Is this gonna optimize people's well-being? Um, is this gonna optimize people like, you know, community sense? And then also from our, um, from our supplier sense, we try to always try to engage our suppliers to ensure as best as possible that it's benefiting the local communities. And so we wanna ensure that this product, so we're not really the high, vo the, the high volume um, kind of like, business that just focus on this efficiency and it's like, how are we gonna reap out every dollar on the bottom line? We wanna ensure that every product we sell somehow impact people on the ground. And so that's why even now when we are adjusting our production strategy to be able to grow and scale more efficiently, we are working with partners in Jamaica and wherever we decide to source from eventually, additionally, we want that to be a community effort where people in the community, kids can go to school from our project. You know, We wanna sell our breadfruit chips and know that kids are going to school from it. We want to, for example, with our packaging, we try now to get our packaging. Our packaging is made from 100, from um, recycled um, plastics. Um, and that's for us to try to like focus on the planet aspect. Because I was in Jamaica a few months ago and we we're sitting there. So on the, the company is more ESG aligned. Yeah. We definitely try to do our best with that. Uh, we, we definitely try to make sure our missions and our execution are aligned as best as possible with, with the ESG considerations. Um, and so that, those are some of the ways that we're, we're seeking to ensure that the people who actually do the work to get this product to market doesn't get left behind. And I myself, I'm an immigrant, I'm a Jamaican, I grew up eating breadfruit. And so like, I try to always tell that story. And so it doesn't matter what major company come along and decide to jump on this train, it doesn't get lost. Like, no, this is not something that was discovered, quote unquote, by an external factor. This is something that was developed internally by you know a group of like innovative personnel from these different regions so tell me about more about the people part and about the supply mm -hmm. chain how are the people at the base of the supply chain benefiting 
So right now, so breadfruit, well, something people don't know. So breadfruit is one of the best um, plants in terms of like plant sustainability. So a lot of other things like, um, you know, cassava uh, and stuff like that, that is in, in the group category. When you actually reap those, you have to dig the root of the plant up. And so what you're doing, you're releasing carbon to the atmosphere. Um, now, whether that's like, you know, something to study for many cassava is not the case. But when you compare that in a metric of breadfruit, you plant a breadfruit tree once, it grows in about three to five years and it produces for about 60 to 70 years every year by you just picking the fruit from the stem. Um, and it's one of the most abundantly growing fruit trees in the world. So it's one of the highest yielding fruit trees in the world. Um, and so what we try to do right now is like bring a lot of education around what the value of breadfruit is because right now, currently, most breadfruit are a good majority of breadfruit, a good portion of breadfruit actually falls off a tree and rot. So what we're trying to do, so working with organizations like Trees That Feed, um, Trees That Feed provide a lot of fruit trees around the world where they plant fruit trees that one, will help to nourish the population and two, help to develop economic value for the local population. And so when we, when we try to like commercialize breadfruit and they can now plant trees in Jamaica or wherever we're going to be sourcing from, they have the ability to, to, to sell these fruit trees, uh, sell the fruits from these trees and actually get an income that would have otherwise just been wasted fruits on the ground. So this thing is really helping to foster growth in all aspects of the supply chain, not just necessarily on the brand side of what Just Real does, but also our suppliers are ensuring that they can literally retire. If they have enough breadfruit trees, they can retire on a breadfruit tree knowing that their breadfruit is producing every year. And also when it comes to robustness of fruit trees, breadfruit is like literally one of the best trees. Hurricane will come and blow your breadfruit tree down. And I see it in my yard growing up in Jamaica. And literally the breadfruit starts sprouting out the side of the tree. <laughs> you know, so it's a very robust for, the, for climate change and being able to, to provide a, a revenue stream for people who would have otherwise have see this thing go to waste out of seasonality and we can extend the shelf life and bring it to market, it benefits everyone um, all the way in the value chain. So tell, sorry, tell me. So especially with, you know, there are lots of conversations around agriculture and youth not wanting to get into agriculture you're quite youthful I don't know how old you are but you look youthful and you're on the agribusiness side of things now on the planting and production side is this a good value chain for young people to get into considering the benefits that you just alluded to uh, first of all I'd like to think I'm, I'm youthful um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Secondary to that, I think that's one of the value of this project is having the ability to tell the story from a, from a youth myself, um, from a youth who grew up in these communities, having the ability to tell the story and show, because one of the reasons why I think a lot of people avoid, uh, youth, youth avoid the agricultural space is because the stigma associated with it, right? Like you're uneducated, you're, you know, you can't do anything better. Like, no, I am coming in and I'm saying, look, I am as educated as educated gets, right? In terms of like going to school and doing all these things. Um, I am, um, you know, I did product design engineering. So like I have the professional background. Um, you know, I, 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 I dress, I would like to think I just, okay. Um, and so all of that, I'm bringing it, I'm coming in and saying like, 
I, if I am willing to go climb a breadfruit tree to go do some research and like pick the breadfruit and like cut up the breadfruit, peel it and test it, start in the kitchen and, you know, figuring out how to make the best chips and all that to get this project started, like you can do the same thing. And then, you know, a lot of people will see the end result and see the packaging and be like, oh, the packaging is great. And that's a, a large feedback we get. The packaging is awesome. Like this is the best packaging I've ever seen, blah, blah, blah. But we want, I want to tell that story that it starts from climbing that breadfruit tree. It starts from picking that breadfruit tree in the, in the farm. And I think by telling that story, and as I youth myself, it can help to convey that message like, no, agriculture is literally one of the best business you can get into. You know, tech is fancy, but tech is a facilitation tool. And if you don't have commerce and you're trying to create an e-commerce platform, all you're gonna end up with is an E because there's no commerce. So if you need tech to connect people to markets in agricultural space, you need people who are providing the actual products that are going to be on these platforms. And I could have gone into tech and I could have come on design, you know, some very high tech thing, but I literally you still could. Food space. <laughs> and, I, and I still can. Right. But I, I honestly believe one of the highest value for society and one of the highest growth sector, especially in the tropical regions right now, is going to be in the natural food space because you're witnessing the democratization of the major food industry. Like people understand the value of not having, you know, their food with maltodextrose in it that has to keep it for a certain number of time and having like the food come from a community that cares um, and all that. So I think, I think this is definitely something where young people need to get involved. And if you're trying to get to like financial freedom or whichever, it's not just Airbnb, it's not just Uber agriculture is literally especially when it comes to value added product from agriculture that is a segment that you really need to be looking into because that's the easiest innovation that you can make are you doing any work around that part sort of the education dissemination of the messaging i know there's a young man in trinidad called alpha senon who has y farm and he does a lot of work around youth and agriculture and he's got this comic book called agriman and he's really um doing a lot of advocacy to get young people into agriculture because i do think that there is a lot of value still in agriculture um in the caribbean definitely in africa where the population is very youthful and it's still that that continent still hasn't reached its full agricultural development um potential yet um and it's a way for um and you don't have to come in at a, a super high like you don't have to be an engineer um no. but also demystifying the thing that you can't be educated and be in agriculture or even be even at the the producer level right that you have to be an yeah. intermediary you have to be an agroprocessor um and so there is a lot of people getting in around that middle stage using mm -hmm. um, tech as an enabler, creating those platforms that connect and um, connect the gaps between the fractures in, in certain value chains. But there still yeah. needs to be a lot of work done on the producer side. And there are challenges and barriers to that, but it doesn't go yeah. without saying that there are definitely opportunities there that can be leveraged for young people to get into agriculture on the producer side, not just on the inputs dealer side or being an agro-processor or creating an, a tech app that connects um, and, and, and amplifies, but as producers. Anyway, 
scene ended. Yeah. I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> no problem. Uh, no, but you're, 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 you're totally right. And um, for, for, from our side, um, again, because you're a bootstrap venture, um, we really have to be um, somewhat um, very uh, focused in what we try to do. But at the same time, we want to have the wider impact across the community. And so a large part of our strategy in terms of what we try to do to get the message out to different um, parts of the community is like, you know, we get articles, we try to get articles out that talks about the benefit, that talks about what the common value of breadfruit can possibly be, that talks about, and then working with like, you know, trees that feed. And we, we talk about like how planting a tree today can become literally your retirement tomorrow. And trying to trying to get that message out on a wider scale, and then we we share as much of our like research that we come up with as much as possible, whether it's in our social media, whether it's in just like our website, or whether it's just through our partners. I meet like I literally meet with people from all over the world, from like at this point probably like five six continents, um, who are talking about ways in which they could potentially find value in this thing that goes to waste called breadfruit. Um, and so we try to do that now. Uh, do we have a particular initiative that's just built around um, delivering that message? We don't necessarily as yet. Um, as we grow and as we scale, a large part of what we've been working on over this past year has been really trying to figure out production. So far now, we've really brought in a very, very strong strategic partner that we're going to be working at to scale up our, um, our trips production. And then our new products, we're also um, in negotiations right now to expand our production in those spaces. Once we have those production spaces online, our capacity is good. What we want to focus on now is really getting that message across to the wider value chain and figuring out ways how we can really bring people in to really reap a lot more of the value in the market space. And I like that about, you know, really creating up, using your business to create opportunities to build wealth for others along the, and especially closer to the base of the supply chain, right? Because the people yeah. upstream, they're going to get their money, you know? Yeah. Um, but you talked about bootstrapping. So Tell me a little bit more about that, um, how you've you know, been funding the business so far, whether you have investors and what your strategy is for fundraising and growing the business in an environment where lots of startups, it seems as if their idea of validation of a great idea is how much they're able to raise in venture funding. Um, what's your strategy? Tell me how you got started and, and how you are looking to, to grow this business? Uh, most definitely. So in terms of a strategy for, um, for funding, uh, we're not venture-backed, um, uh, first, just to answer that part of it. Um, and a large part of that is if you're actually building a, a, a company that's built around you know, optimizing 3Ps, which is like people, planet, and, and, um, and profit, uh, venture-backed Fund, venture back typically focus more largely and on the actual profit side. And so you're, gonna, you're not going to have as much control in terms of how you're able to impact your people and the planet. Nowadays, I think it's a little bit more like mainstream to be thinking about those other you know, people on planet side. But a lot of that can tend to be um, just, just words. <laughs> um, so how I got So is it an intentionality uh, on your part to not go that route because you want to ensure that you are equally allocating your um, attention to maintaining those three things, the three Ps as you grow? I would say yes, largely. Um, I, I would say yes. Um, and I, the reason why I say it largely is because I, I, I go into different negotiations with that in mind. 
Um, and it, it's not just about how much money is this company going to make. It's about how much money is this company going to make while impacting positively the life of our people that are involved in the project. Um, and when you when we do that, like, I, I don't know, it's not fascinating for me to be spending, you know, 50, 75 percent of my time trying to figure out how to go convince uh, somebody to give me money for a project that they're just looking at to figure out, like, is this money make does this thing make sense at the bottom line, um, which we don't as a leader for this for this project we definitely focus on the bottom line and we want to ensure that this project is sustainable, is profitable, and all the decisions we make is feasible. But we, we want to focus a lot more on the value we're bringing and the value from a very holistic point of view. Um, and so if we get value-aligned investors who, who have the capital and who at the same time sees the, the larger vision of what we're trying to do, then we entertain those conversations. Then we can spend time. Then we can kind of like move forward from there. Um, and so I have those conversations. Sometimes. Right. Cause there are but, impact investors who are, yes. and are there any that you've come across who's, you know, their, 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 uh, investment thesis and what they stand for aligns with what you are looking to do. Uh, yes, we, we have been exposed to a few, uh, like for example, our securities attorney and, and, um, in their, uh, neighborhood out there in San Francisco, uh, do definitely have, um, access to a wide array of like impact investors. A lot of those investors at the same time still a semi, you know, they're like a, a little touch above like the typical adventure, but like they still have their own little like, you know, I, I, one person reached out to me who's supposed to be um, an early stage investor in food And startup. I think that is very <laughs> unfortunate and people don't talk about that enough, but tell your story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and she reached out and, you know, and, and she's like, oh, I heard about your project. This sounds like a great idea. Um, and then she's like asking me like, why is my email address like gmail.com? And why is it not, you know, justshow.com? And, and then she's like, oh, I feel like your venture is too early. I'm like, can you give me a few metrics to define exactly why our venture is too early for what you're doing? Uh, so and so no hold response. up, hold up, hold up, Javion. Yeah. So uh -huh. when did having like a corporate email become a metric for whether or not you're early or not? Exactly. But I think that's the thing. <laughs> but you're exactly right. Um, but, but you, you know, the, the point with that is like, you have to play these little games and sometimes it takes away from the effort of what you're trying to do with the company. And that's why a lot of times you see a lot of these unnatural food and it started out with just great vision, but at some point in time it gets lost and it just looks like everything else out there in the market space, because you have to spend these time like, yeah, like, figuring out corporate email, um, you know, like, and it's like, no, the email, even if I have a corporate email, it's still gonna go to the same place. So like, I don't think that's the biggest selling point of what I'm trying to do. <laughs> um, so, sorry. No. So, um, so, so, so with that, it's like, you have to really decide where you wanna spend your space because you can end up losing your mission pretty quickly. Um, how the, how the vision got started? Like, so as I said, my background is product engineering. Um, and so I was able to like, um, start out by having some savings and I really decided to plunge into the project um, with some of my own personal savings. And that's when I went to Jamaica, brought a few equipment with me and started testing out ways how to get the product here. And I spent a lot of my time I resigned from my position um, back in 2019 fall, and I decided to spend a lot of my time just like building out to get the first MVP, MVP meaning the uh, uh, minimum viable product. 
to the first product that could like get people tested on the market space. I'll, I'll already had people try breadfruit chips and those were Ziploc bags. Um, and that's something interesting to, to understand. Like always be willing to test your product. You don't have to go big immediately, right? Um, but then by the time I, you know, had people try the product from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, like all of that, people were like, oh my God, this thing is good. I was like, okay, there's something here. Maybe now I can move to the next step. And so I didn't want to bring breadfruit out in some like some cheap looking bag and, you know, really not capture like, like that mainstream attention. And so I spent a lot of time and some capital developing, you know, the product packaging to ensure like it matches and, and do a lot of research. And then we had to, you know, being that it's a new product, you know, there's a lot of FDA research, a lot of USDA research, figuring out how to get breadfruit. Like we literally had to build the first commercially um, supply chain of breadfruit from Jamaica to um, Colorado. <laughs> um, and so it took some effort in being able to do that. And that was mostly on my, um, on my capital. And also I had a friend of mine who tasted the product and was like, yo, I really wanted to give it a try too. So he came in and also put in some capital. Over the years, we've raised a, um, some, a little bit of money, a little bit of capital to just like kind of like help us to really What's get a little to bit of space. money? Uh, so far, we've, we've raised less than 50000 um, Okay. Did you also yeah. tap into any grants and other resources from the state of Colorado or, or anything like that? Um, yes, we tapped into a few. We tapped into a little bit of grant. Um, you know, the grant, the grant amount, I would probably say, is probably less than 10000 that we've tapped into. Um, but we've definitely tapped into a few. Um, also did a, um, some uh, loan financing, a little bit of loan financing, um, which in essence, like started a business loan finance with a, as an immigrant entrepreneur. It's like ridiculous numbers. <laughs> so, so there's some mistakes there uh, that needs to be overcome. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, so we really, we really had to like look into ways in which you could really raise capital and at the same time still able to have a good amount of control. And a large portion of that has been so most of most of funding so far in the project has been my personal funding um, uh, outside of like investment, and everything. It's, it's just been a lot because I believe in this project and I see the value of this project. Um, and I do believe this project is going to be you know, a financial success. But even so, I know it's going to be a mobilizing factor in really getting people to understand the meaning of like value added product in the agricultural space. And, and, and because of that, I really believe and I put myself behind it. Um, both with my capital, with my time, and with my connections, I really bring that all together to, to try to make sure that this product becomes a success. And so far, you know, it's not profitable yet. So, um, you know, but at the same time, like we're seeing ways in which um, we are going to become profitable within the next, um, you know, anywhere I would say between the next 12 to 18 months, um, we should be able to, on a, on a smaller scale, we should be able to get the profitability in some, in some shape. And also have a very a relatively sustainable business and, and moving forward and focusing on growth. Yeah, no, like most businesses aren't profitable out of the bat because you know you kind of have to you had to literally develop the supply chain from that connection from <laughs> Jamaica to Colorado and and those things take money to do. So yeah, no, this is this is great. Yeah, you're on a great path. So what's the future for Just Chill and Breadfoods? What should we be expecting from you? Well, I think the future, the future is looking pretty bright, um, especially with some of our strategic partners that we have coming on board. Um, we're also building out a team in Jamaica, um, working with a team in Jamaica that um, I think is going to really, really help us to, to move forward and also capture um, a good portion of that market. You know, we're going to be having product in that market pretty soon. Um, and then, 
we're also like, you know, trying to work on building out a team um, or, or strategic partnerships over here um, that will allow us to also expand um, more nationally across, you know, the mainland US. And um, at some point, like we've had uh, one or two products in Canada, um, but we're also looking to really expand on that and really try to do that on a, on, a, on a larger commercial scale where we can get products into these spaces. We've had interest in this product from literally like all the way from England, you know, um, Ireland. And so we, we want to figure out ways how we can um, get our production capacity and our supply logistics to be able to satisfy a lot of those markets. Um, and a lot of franchising opportunities, we're, we're going to be, you know, doing distribution deals um, across the different regions. So we're, we're really looking to really expand this product and make Just Chill, the brand, known um, it was even started on breadfruit, but really built around the natural food space and become a real force in um, going forward um, in the in you know the food sector and the value-added agricultural sector in the tropical region of the world. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing Just Chill products on my neighborhood supermarket shelves sometime in the near future. But in the meantime, tell us where we can yeah. find your products as we wrap up. Uh, right now, um, our products uh, are large and light. We sold the chips, and we're we're literally in the post of like having the restock of the chips right now. Um, and as soon as those come back out, we're going to be back in Amazon. Um, right now, one two three justshow.com is where we have you know our pancake mix is currently at the market. We're going to be releasing a dry mix here pretty soon as well, and we're going to also be releasing some additional flavors of breadfruit chips um, in, in the in the short period here. So that's some very early knowledge there. Um, and so once those come online and, and we have a production um, issue dealt with, you can find us on Amazon, you can find us on Etsy, you can find us on 123justsold.com. And we're also gonna be working with some distributors to get to get it to hopefully stores like you're, you're in the DMV area and in the New York area and all these other areas uh, also in, in this side of the country as well to get it off your shelves. I am very, very excited. Um, I love the breadfruit also known as Breche in Jamaica. And so I cannot wait to be able to access it and eat it as freely as I would plantain chips or potato chips. And I am looking forward to, to being able to do so through Just Chill brand. And, I, and we're looking forward to, to supply that. You know, we're looking forward to be the market supplier for that. And I have to say thanks very much to the team um, in the background that's really working to make this thing happen. Like right now, as we speak, they're literally in the facility in Jamaica, like trying to figure out how to make this thing, you know, work and how to get it to the right supply. Like they're doing a massive amount of work to, to get this product to you guys. So it's not yes, just big me. up, big up, big up to yeah. the team and everybody in the background yeah. doing all the good work. Yeah. Javion, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for stopping by the WTF podcast. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you would like to be a guest or sponsor the podcast, please contact us at wheresthefunding at gmail.com. We're available on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Help us grow by subscribing, streaming, rating, download, reviewing, all that good stuff. Share your favorite episodes with your friends and your colleagues. You can find the podcast on social media at Where's the Funding on Instagram. And follow me, the host, Michelle J. McKenzie on LinkedIn. And join us for the next episode. Javion. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to my brush. Okay. I'll have to be, I'll have to make sure that we get some out there to you in the DMV. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it.